Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Think Orange podcast. A podcast with ideas and conversations to help you influence the next generation. G'day, everyone, and welcome back to the Think Orange podcast, whether you're listening on your favorite podcast app or watching on YouTube. My name is Dave, and as always, our goal here is to encourage, inspire, and resource you by giving you access to the speakers, thought leaders, and experts who are rethinking and reimagining the way ministry can be done. Today, we're speaking with my good friend, Kerry Newhoff, about the launch of his new book, At Your Best, which is designed for anyone looking to get the most out of their life and leadership. Kerry is the founding pastor of Connexus Church and is the author of several books and speaks to church leaders around the world about leadership and personal growth. He writes one of the most widely read church leadership blogs at kerrynewhoff.com and hosts two podcasts, the top-rated Kerry Newhoff Leadership Podcast and the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. He sat down with Reggie Joyner and Kristen Ivey about recovering from burnout and taking control of your calendar. So let's dive straight in. So we're here with Kerry Newhoff, who is a friend of ours, and we've been working in leadership together, all of us, for well over a decade, probably pushing two decades now. And the brand new book is coming out at your best. And I know you have been talking about this book, Kerry, for at least a decade, because part of your story is in in these chapters. So tell us why you wrote at your best. Well, I wrote, you're right, Reggie. And first of all, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And, you know, you and I met around, we really became friends, I think in like 2004, five, six, around that time. So 15 years ago plus. And 06 was the worst year of my life. I kind of burned out, had a really tough time. And what was so surprising about it is everything was going so well. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the church was growing. Um, we had some challenges in our marriage at the time, but they weren't like people had worse stories than that. But I was just running at a really unsustainable pace and my body just decided to quit. I think looking back on it, you know, if you don't declare a finish line, your body will. And my body mm-hmm. said, that's it. Not going to run at this pace anymore. You're done. And so I just ran out of energy. I ran out of passion. And so the book isn't actually about that because I wrote about that a little bit in uh, my last book, Didn't See It Coming. But the burnout chapter got such a response in didn't see it coming. And now, you know, 15 years on the other side of burnout, I've learned how to stay out of burnout. As we record this interview, I'm coming back on day one of like a month off, which 15 years ago would have been impossible. I was running around with my hair on fire and, um, you know, the company didn't burn down. It's amazing. The team did a great job. I had a really deep rest. It was wonderful. And um, so the book is really all about what I learned the hard way through hundreds of hours of therapy and counseling and coaching and, you know, probably too much money invested in all of that. And then trial and error and mistakes, trying to figure out to answer this question, how do I live in a way today that will help me thrive tomorrow? And obviously, you know, pie in the sky, we'd all love to take a month off every once in a while. But but that isn't going to solve the problem because the problem most of us have is how we live every day, right? It's not the vacation that killed you. 
It's not the two weeks off that killed you. It was Tuesday that flattened you. And then Thursday came after Tuesday. And then you had week after week after week. So people just live overwhelmed, overworked, overcommitted. And what I'm trying to do is figure out how do you escape that vortex? That's amazing, Carrie. As I'm looking through the pages of what you've written, there is so much wisdom here that I can walk away and apply right now in my own life. I find myself highlighting and taking notes in so many places. One of the things that kind of fascinates me is that a lot of this has to do with mindset and the ability to take responsibility and ownership over areas of your life that you can have autonomy over. How would you address, though, maybe some comments about like what we don't have the ability to maybe own or take control of in our life? I think about your story, Carrie, and at that season in in life, I believe you were still parenting your kids. They were in the house. There were some things that you couldn't just check a box and say, oh, that's off my to-do list now. Uh Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Kids are never off your to-do list, Kristen, (laughs) ever. We We just hung out. Our kids are 29 and 24, and I just came back like this morning from a week with Jordan who lives on the East coast of Canada now. And you know, your kids never get stroked off that list ever. So you're right. It's a really good point. So I'm glad you raised that because I think culturally, a lot of our attitudes about our lives are shaped by the culture. And you talk to most people today and they're like, how are you? I'm busy. I'm slammed. I'm just, you know, I'm, I don't even know what to do with myself. People are always overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And I really did the math. And so I sat down because I had to do a lot of honest self-talk. So one of the things I talk about in At Your Best is I had to learn, I trained myself to stop saying, I don't have the time for that. Mm. Because I, I learned, you know, duh, we all know this. Actually, you do have the time for that. I have as much time today as you do, as you do, Reggie, you know, like I, I, have, I have the same amount of time. The only difference is the day you're born, the day you die. So you have control over that. So I stopped saying, I don't have the time for that. And I started saying to myself, I am not going to make the time for that. Or I am not, if I don't have time to exercise, well, I I had 24 hours. I could have exercised for 24 hours, made the Olympics, highly unlikely. But but I, I could have, if I wanted to, I had the time to eat healthy. I had the time to read my, you know, small child, a story and tuck them into bed. I didn't take it. I had the time to write the book. I didn't make it. That was really frightening. But the other thing is, how much of your life do you have control over? And to paraphrase Henry Cloud, you have control over a ridiculous amount of time of your life. So when I teach this material, a lot of people say, Carrie, that's great for you. You're a founder. You started a church. Now you run a company. You know, that's easy. You must have all the time in the world. You get to call the shots. And you've always been the senior leader. Like, look at Reggie, all the surplus time he has, right? Because he's he's the senior leader. He started Orange. He gets to call the shots. If he doesn't want to come in, he doesn't come in. Now, I know you well enough to know, Reggie, that you put in more than enough time. However, I want you to think about that. Let's say you work for a company and 40 hours a week is just spent. You, don't, you sit in that cubicle. You don't move. You get up to use the bathroom, have lunch, and go home. That's it, okay? That's 40 hours a week. Well, you think about that. There's 168 hours in a week. That means you have control over 128 hours in a week. And then immediately people are like, well, no, I don't because the kids have soccer on Monday night. And then we have dance on Tuesday. And then we have music lessons on Wednesday. And we have church on the weekend. And we were getting together with friends. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Those are all choices. Those are all choices. Now, if you want to make it even harder, 
Think about most office workers, because I've taught this material for a few years, and I'm excited it's finally in, in book form. But whenever I present this, people go, well, Carrie, you know, I've got meetings that I have to go to, and I have, you know, standing commitments I have to go to. Okay, let's break that down. 40-hour work week. And I've, I've tested this with hundreds of leaders. I'm like, okay, so what is, like, be honest with me. What is the, you know, you got to go to staff meeting, leadership team meeting, the stand-up meeting on Wednesday morning with your boss, the one-on-one with this person, you got a client meeting, you got a director's meeting, whatever you got, add them all up. How much? The maximum number of people come back with is 20. Mm. And most people say 10 to 12. Because you think about that, you throw in your Tuesday noon meeting, you've got your Wednesday morning meeting, you got your Thursday afternoon meeting, adds up to about 10 to 12 hours. If it's 10 to 12 hours, that still leaves you. Let's say it's 20. Let's go crazy. You know what that leaves you with? Control over 88% of your week. Mm. That's a frightening amount of time. Mm. And so what I want to encourage people to do is, because otherwise this runaway train takes you into retirement and takes you to your grave, right? You're going to be busy. I run into senior citizens all the time, senior adults. We're like, I'm so busy. I'm busier now than when I worked. I'm like, wait a minute. You want that to be your story? So I think we have a ridiculous amount of control over our lives. And to your parenting point, when our kids were little, you know, I hadn't figured this stuff out, but we even knew then that we weren't limitless. And so we said to our kids, and we're talking to Jordan about that this week, like you get to do one instrument and one sport. So we only had two kids. Some, some people listening to this have five kids. Like, I don't know how you do that. That's a graduate level. But it's like, because we didn't want to be out seven nights a week. And so it's like, you get one music lesson and you get one sport you get to play at a time. When soccer season's over, you can go play football or baseball or hockey. If you, you're done with piano, we can take up guitar, but we're not stacking it. That's great to hear you say that and to, to put numbers behind it all. But, and you alluded to me a while ago as having a lot of margin as the CEO of Orange. Actually, <laughs> Kristen is the president of Orange and she's my boss. And when I don't want to come in, she tells me I have to. So when you, it comes down to someone else is calling the shots or someone else is actually in, a, in an authority kind of way telling me what my schedule is. How do I negotiate that? How, what do I do to make sure that I still stay at least in control of my future and my daily experience? I love that question. So, you know, Kristen, we know how tough she is, and she's probably yeah, not going to let you yeah. go home until your work is done, Reggie. So the way it is. this is what I would do is I would, I would go to your boss. And okay, first of all, ready. I, I would say this, be ridiculously good at what you do. If you're a really competent employee, your, your boss is going to pay more attention to you. So if you're slacking and, you know, you're always at the coffee shop and you're missing deadlines and you're kind of on the bubble about whether you're going to stay at the company or not, and they're thinking about, hmm, whenever it's time to say goodbye to Reggie, I would wait with this stuff until you pull up your socks. But I know you, your, your socks are pulled up. You're fine. So what do you do in that case? What I would do is go to your boss and have a conversation and say, hey, I've been studying time management, productivity, and effectiveness. And I'm wondering if you're open to some ideas about how I could become more effective at work. Now, at that point, most bosses' ears perk up and then say, here's what I'd love to do. I've got about 10 to 12 hours of meetings per week. And what I, what I would love is a little bit of freedom. 
And the thing about at your best, the whole, the whole idea is you should do what you're best at when you're at your best. Most of us have three to five super productive hours a day. And as much as we don't want to admit it, I mean, you know this, both as writers, mm-hmm. right? You, you can't, unless the deadline's tomorrow, you're not going to churn out 12 hours of quality content. You're just not. Most, Cal Newport says this, other people say this, you got about three to five hours in a day where you can really produce your best work. Now, for all of that, that ha- all of us, that happens at a, a different time. One of the tensions, Reggie, we wrote a book together. You're a night owl and I'm a morning person. So I remember signing off around 10 o'clock those nights when we were working on Parenting Beyond Your Capacity because I'm like, I got no brain cells left, Reg. But listen, six o'clock in the morning, you name the spot and I will be there and my pencil will be sharp and we'll go. That's the kind of dynamic we're talking about. And for knowledge workers or office workers, for a lot of us, the quality of, of what we bring to the job is in our minds and in our hearts. And uh, at four o'clock in the afternoon, I'm pretty tired most afternoons. At nine o'clock, I am brain dead. However, you get me between 7 a.m. and 11 a.m. and I can produce really decent content. That is when my best window is. Everybody has a different window. What you want to do is you want to guard that window. So then you go to your boss and you say, I think I'm best. I'll use my example, you know, between about 7 a.m. and 11 a.m. And I want to produce really quality curriculum for you, Kristen. I want to be the best writer. Uh, that I can be. So I'm wondering if you'd be open to me working offsite at home where it's quiet or at a coffee shop or in a different office three days a week from 7 or 8 a.m. until 11 a.m. And I will still fulfill all of my commitments, but I really want to try this as an experiment. And would you give me permission to do that? And I promise you, you will get better results or at least the same results. And we can evaluate in name your window, three weeks, four weeks, two months, whatever it is, negotiate, as Andy Stanley would say, you know, express desires, not demands. You're not in a position to demand, so you express a desire to do this. See what your boss says. The vast majority of bosses are going to be like, that's going to make you a better employee. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, let's try it. And then go back with your good results. And then what you can do, and we've seen this happen with companies I've coached and churches I've coached, is they start to look at the whole company calendar and they realize that, okay, the, this actually happened at a church in Atlanta that I coached a couple of years ago. They had a leadership team meeting. Nobody would say this out loud, but nobody enjoyed it. They all kind of hated it. And uh, I divide a day for everybody who reads a book into green, yellow, and red. Green is when you're at your best. Red is when you're dragging, you know, that one or two hours where you need another jolt of caffeine to even keep going. Most of us have one or two of those hours in a workday. And then the rest is yellow. You're not at your best, but, but you can produce. You're doing okay. What they discovered is the majority of people on the leadership team were in their red zone. They were dying. They moved it from, I'm going to say, three o'clock in the afternoon to one o'clock on a different day. And all of a sudden, the meeting got a whole lot better. So you can start to play with your calendar and the corporate calendar, and you get everybody working at their best, and things start to, to move. I can't wait to try that out on Kristen as soon as we get off this Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I noticed, Carrie, to this idea of thinking about the daily rhythm, you actually mentioned in the book that readers have access to a resource that will help them map out their day. Um, yes. Talk to us just a little bit about that. Yeah. So we have um, something called the energy clock. I explain it in the book. But if you think about a typical 12-hour day from, you know, that's when you're productive. You're either having breakfast, getting the kids ready for school, getting yourself ready for work, 
to the drive home and all that stuff. Most of us have a flex within about 12 hours. I like to start my day at 6 or 7 a.m. And I like to be off the clock at 4. That's me. Other people would rather saunter in at 10 a.m. and stay till 6. So, you know, about a 12-hour day. That energy clock is something that you can download for free. I think you can get it at atyourbesttoday.com. That's sort of the gateway into everything. And so it's just atyourbesttoday.com. And you can plot your own personal energy clock. So figure out when your green, yellow, and red zones are. And then what you do is you assign each of those zones a job. You give them work. So I'm a writer. I'm a content creator. I'm a podcaster. I'm, you know, I write books. I write blogs still. I write articles. My best use of time is around my team and writing. And so I want to do that in my green zone. Uh, Other things don't matter as much. Email for me, I'm not an administrative assistant. I have an assistant, but that's not my main job. I can do that in my red zone. I can file expense reports in my red zone. My yellow zone, I do a lot of my interviewing in the yellow zone. You would say, well, you know, well, you're a podcaster. Wouldn't you do that in your green zone? I do my prep in the green zone. I do the execution in the yellow zone because I'm sharp enough. It's going to work okay. And so you start assigning each of those zones specific general tasks. You can break it down to, yes, record this interview from one to two uh, Thursday afternoon. Or you can just say, generally, I do my interviews, you know, I do them Wednesday afternoon. I do my writing Monday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings. I do my meetings at such and such a time. So you kind of start giving those time zones jobs according to their importance and their overall value to the organization. And that's where you start to see exponential returns because there you're not just managing your time. What you're managing is your energy. Mm -hmm. Time management brings diminishing returns because you've got a a very limited quantity. But when you're managing your energy, that's when, when, when I'm doing what I'm best at and I'm doing the stuff that doesn't really matter when I'm tired, you start to see disproportionate returns on that investment. That's a great that's a great concept is managing energy not time. But what do you do when there's a disruption? What do you do when there's an interruption? What do you do when all of a sudden you're managing your energy and something catches you off guard or you know you have to deal with a situation that wasn't organized into your schedule? Yes. So that's called every day, right Reggie? <laughs> that's called every day there's something especially is- if you're a parent, yeah. Uh-huh. That brings us back to the concept of margin. And margin is so important. I talk a lot about margin and at your best. And it's something that I've had to really work to reclaim. So most of us do not plan for unexpected mistakes. I almost texted you right before this interview. You'll never believe it. I'm coming back after 30 days off, a week with my son. Our plane landed this morning. I get home and literally an hour before this interview, Uh, I got a landscaper working at the house and it's like, did you hear that explosion? I'm like, what explosion? There's a tree and a power line on fire across the house. And five minutes before this started, I'm giving you a real life example. Before our interview started, our power went out. Now we're fortunate to have a generator. The generator kicked in, but I had come down an hour earlier because I knew this was my first interview back. I had made sure my computer was working. I had done the software updates that needed to be done. I was all ready to go. I checked the camera to make sure it was working, the mic to make sure it was working. And then when I was having lunch, the power went out. I'm like, I better run downstairs. The generator kicked in. I booted it back up and I was ready on time. That's margin. And I think what I've learned 
is there's something exploding down the street every day of my life. There's always last minute changes. It's a kid who has the last minute diaper change. It's the toddler who has the meltdown. It's a teenager who it's like, oh my goodness, it's going to take two hours. And in ministry, you get a lot of ministries leading. I mean, ministry is a series of interruptions. That's what you have, right? You just have interruption after interruption. You can say, oh, this is interrupting my work. Or you can say, no, this is my work. So I've got a whole section in the book about mastering the art of saying no. And that is something that I have, I still hate it. I mean, I know that I've got a meeting next week where I'm probably going to say no to 30 things, opportunities, requests that came in while I was away. I hate it because I'd love to say yes to any, all of them. But I know that when I used to say yes to everything, it landed me burned out. Mm. And I don't, I don't want to live that way anymore. So you have to, it's kind of what Greg McEwen talks about in essentialism. You really have to choose, you know, if it's not a nine, it's a zero. If it's not like, oh, I really, this is my sweet spot. We have to do this. It's a zero. I'm not going to do it. So you got to master the art of saying no. And when you do that and you have a pretty, like, if you look at my calendar, most weeks, it doesn't look that busy. Now it fills up. I've got lots to do, but if I've got eight hours of meeting, day after day after day. I've got no room for emergency. And you know, you know, and you guys more than anyone would be passionate about this. Guess who pays the price when your day gets hijacked by emergencies day after day after day? It's your family. It's the kids. I mean, I can see it on your face, Kristen. You know who pays that price, right? Matt does. Your kids do. Any of the people closest to you. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're, why are you always asking them to pick up the slack? Mm. And I'm preaching to myself here. Mm. Like, why am I always asking Tony, my wife, to pick up the slack? Why am I always saying, sorry, kids, can't do it? Mm. Like, that's not fair. And I lived that way for too long. So now it's like, I'm going to say no to that. I'm going to leave time on the calendar, just open time, because something is going to blow up today. And so then I can deal with it and I can get home and I can do your most important calling, which is, you know, minister to yourself, to God and, you know, take care of yourself, have a great relationship with God and then, and then minister to your family. And Mm -hmm. then your work comes into play. So many things here, Carrie. I love everything that you said about thinking about energy and passion and, you know, managing those things. I find myself leaning in as you're describing everything that you've kind of learned and processed because there is a tendency, if I'm being honest, I sometimes find myself thinking, well, if I sprint hard now, I'll find that rest later. And I love the way that you challenge in the book to go, that's fine as long as it's a sprint. If you find Mm -hmm. that you've been sprinting for a month, six months, three years, be honest enough with yourself to go, don't calendar more sprinting, figure out how to run the marathon because that's what you're in. So that's just, I I love the way that you call attention to even self-reflection in that way. Couldn't agree more. And, and, you know, in the first part of the book, I talk a lot about the language we use and I got called out on that because again, this is all learned behavior for me. I did not, you know, gravity is going to take you in a different direction than what I'm teaching and at your best. But I remember I used to tell people like they would ask me questions, family, friends at, at gatherings. They'd say, how you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm busy, you know, busy, busy, busy. And they're like, that's what you said last time. And eventually I called myself on it. And I realized, you know what? You say it's a busy season and this is how we justify it. But seasons have beginnings and they have endings. 
And if your busy season has no ending, it's not a season, it's your life. And then the question is, okay, where's the finish line? And listen, there are like, you've launched books, you've, you've had really, you've had important deadlines, you've got the beginning of a school year. What you need to do is you need to find a date on the calendar and circle it and say, this is the end of my busy season. And if you Mm. can't do that, if you can't write down like October 15th or November 12th Mm. as the end of your busy season, then it's not a busy season, it's your life. And here's here's the other fallacy that that we fall into. And I realized this particularly during COVID because everybody I talked to last year during COVID was saying, oh man, I've never worked harder in my life. And that is so true for, for almost all of us, never worked harder in our life, never been more complicated. And then they started saying after we realized this isn't a couple of weeks, this is going to be like a season. Oh my goodness, it's going to be a year. It's like, is this thing ever going to end? Like, right, here we are. We're still, I don't know by the time this airs, but we're still not out of it as we record it. And, you know, people said, oh, if I can just get to summer vacation, if I can just make it to Christmas break. And here's the problem, right? We're looking to time off to heal us. Time Mm -hmm. off won't heal you because the problem isn't how you spend your time off. The problem is how you spend your time on. Because your vacation was awesome. But a week in Mexico isn't going to solve an unsustainable pace or a month on the French Riviera isn't going to solve anything because you come right back. And we've all had that experience. And I had it for too many years where it's like, okay, I feel great. I took two weeks off. It's amazing. I took a month off. I took a sabbatical. You come back and Monday morning at 11 a.m. It's like you got run over by a truck. It's like, what happened? First day back, schmuck. It's like you ran right back into your unsustainable pace. So this, is, this isn't just a heart cry. It's a very comprehensive strategy to move from what I call the stress spiral, where you're overwhelmed, overcommitted, and overworked, to the thrive cycle, where you've got ample time, you've got leveraged energy, and your priorities get realized. There's something here, Carrie, that you're alluding to that I think was so powerful when you talk about the difference between chasing what you would say, chasing balance Mm. instead of chasing meaning. Talk a little bit more specifically about the difference between chasing balance and chasing meaning. I still talk to a lot of people, a lot of friends who are like, man, I want to balance life. And I gave up on that a couple of years ago because number one, I never found balance. I mean, our mutual friend, Frank Beeler has a book called The Myth of Balance. And I totally agree with Frank. It's a myth. Like, And then I found, think about this. I don't know if this is true in your life, but it's true in mine. I thought about people who would describe themselves as balanced because you do find them once in a while. And I thought, I don't, I don't really want to be like that. I don't want to emulate that. Like that doesn't feel like my life. And I thought, what is, what is the problem here? Because uh, balance doesn't change the world. You know, what does passion, passion and people who go into ministry are passionate. Parents are passionate, right? Or at least you were at one point, you were passionate about all that stuff. And so what I've realized is, by following this, this strategy that I lay out, the at your best strategy, I think you should have a passionate life. Like if, if, if you're going to be with your kids, be with your kids and be passionate. But if you're at work, because we live in this gray zone where we're never, because of technology, we're never really on and we're never really off, right? You're at the beach, but you're on your phone answering emails mm-hmm. or you're at home, but you just saw five texts come in from work or you're at work but you're shopping Amazon and scrolling you know, Instagram. So you're in this place where you're just in this perpetual muddle. And so what I, I think is so important is you want to get to the point 
where you are focused and passionate. So whatever you choose to allow in your calendar, if that one night of music lessons a week for the kids or church on Sunday, or that project you agreed to volunteer for, or your work, it's like, yeah, when I'm at work, I'm going to be passionate about my work. But then when I'm home, I'm not giving my family the leftovers. I've got energy in the tank that I have managed so that I can play with my kids so that I can help out with dinner or make dinner or clean up or all of those things. And so whatever I try to do, and if you're going to take a nap, take a nap, like enjoy it. Don't feel guilty about it. Don't be like, I was scrolling Instagram and fell asleep. It's like, no, no, no. Take a nap. If you're going to sleep eight hours, enjoy it. If you're going to take a week off, go. Don't check email. Uh, I just came back from 31 days without email. I promise you the world continues without you. It's fine. I actually like the idea of taking naps, but usually I take them during the meetings. Um, I, would you <laughs> would you wrap this up and just kind of explain to the audience who's listening, what do you want them to do? Because this is an amazing book. It's going to be an amazing strategy. I want to make sure they understand next steps and what to look forward to and when to be able to access this and how to access it and what that looks like. Well, here's my heart cry. I want you to stop living at an unsustainable pace. That does not end up in a good place. And even if you never burn out, I think a lot of people live in what I call low-grade burnout. And my definition of that is this. Low-grade burnout happens when the functions of life continue, but the joy of life is gone. So you're showing up to work, you're showing up to the kids' ball game, but the joy is missing. It's just gone. And so many people live that way. So what I'd love for them to do, you can go to atyourbesttoday.com. Obviously, I'd love to have you buy the book, but we have so many free resources because we believe in this message. I actually put together a masterclass. If you pre-order the book or get it launch week, you'll get free access to the masterclass. Uh, we've got, uh, the book has companions like the free energy clock uh, that you can download, et cetera, et cetera. And what I want you to do is to rethink how you spend your time how you leverage your energy, and how you realize your priorities. And you can do that. And this is the result. You'll end up living in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow. That's my, like, if there's one message I want to trumpet for the next 30 years, or however much God gives me, it's like, I would love to see people living at a pace that sets them up to thrive not just survive. Because most of us live in a way today that makes us struggle tomorrow, that makes us defeated tomorrow, uh, that makes us <laughs> depressed tomorrow. And we don't know how to get out. And a lot of us dream of, of, of this life that we'll escape from. When I was burning out, I wanted to work at a warehouse and stack boxes because mm. they stayed stacked. And you know, unlike leadership, you try to manage people, they don't stay put. It doesn't work that way. And so I want to see people in a place where, where they get some of their joy back. And uh, that's true spiritually, relationally, emotionally, physically, and financially. And I think this framework can really help with that. So just go to atyourbesttoday.com, atyourbesttoday.com. All kinds of free resources. If you pre-order the book, you get the masterclass thrown in for free. We put a lot of resources into that because we believe in this message. And we just want to help people thrive. That's our dream. That's our prayer. That's our hope. Thank you, Carrie. And everything you do is always a gift to leaders all over the country, all over the world. And for those of you who don't want to miss this, there are amazing resources that are actually at, at your best 
today.com. English translation of that would be resources. Resources. Um, Canadian sorry. translation is resources. So I'm just trying to make sure we translate that correctly. Resources for Re- your resources. Insurance. Resources. Mm-hmm. And uh, but again, we think this is a game changer. We think this is a life changing experience you'll have if you go through at your best. And we're going to be having some more conversations, hopefully, you know, in the next several months, uh, especially maybe even for parents to talk about what this looks like. Uh, so, Kristen, thanks for being here as well. And I can't wait to have a meeting with you right after this is over to talk about freedom for me and what that looks like. You need to be and free, think, man. Yeah. You're going mean, to show me your energy clock. I can feel it coming. I, yeah, <laughs> I really am. Thanks again, Carrie. And we're going to have fun with this. Look forward to continuing the conversation. Reggie, Kristen, thanks so much. It's a joy to be with you guys. Well, I have no doubt there was something challenging and inspiring for all of you guys listening or watching this podcast. And I'm also sure there is someone you know who needs to hear this episode. So make sure you share it with them and maybe even get them a copy of Kerry's new book. You can get it now at orangestore.org. Well, thanks so much for listening. My name is Dave Adamson. And remember, when you think next generation or church strategy, think orange. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Think Orange podcast. Join us next time for more ideas and conversations to help you influence the next generation. For more episodes and show notes, visit thinkorangepodcast.com.